The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where this week, like every week, we are working hard to get you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And today is OREA National Real Estate Summit Eve. (laughs) It starts tomorrow. Had a run here from the Great Wolf Lodge to do the show tonight and head, headed back there afterwards to meet lots and lots and lots of you guys who got a ticket through WMKVFM.org. And we actually had filled the event up last Friday. And 850 people registered last Friday. And we sent out an email saying, hey, if you're not going to come, if, we, if, we, if, we've, if we've got your registration money, but you're not going to show up, can you let us know? <laughs> because we have people who want to be there who we can't give a ticket to. And we got about a dozen folks saying, yeah, got something else going on. And so bottom line is we've got, like, as of this moment, four seats, I think, left in the event. If you're like a super, super, super duper last minute person, you could go to wmkvfm.org and scroll down to the bottom and see if that uh, see if that form is still up. If it is, there's a seat and you can get it by registering there. If you don't see the form, then there's no seats left. And I'm sorry, you'll have to come in 2022. I've already seen many of the experts and uh, talked to a lot of them about what they're going to be presenting and it's going to be good. If you're in real estate and you're anywhere near Cincinnati, you might want to find a way to get down here at some point this weekend. WMKVFM.org is the way to do that. Uh, Joining me today is one of the 26 experts that we are uh, going to have the benefit of hearing from this weekend. Uh, It's Don Costa, who is a name that you might not recognize if you're in this part of the country. Um, He's not... You know, he doesn't have like the Pete Fortunato or the Ron Legrand name, but he's got a really fascinating story and business, which is why I thought we should probably hear from him. Um, he likes the retailing. He likes the retailing. And he uh, has been doing it for quite a while, but there was a little hitch in the story <laughs> that happened about the same time that many of us had hitches in our real estate stories. And he's going to talk to us this evening about um, how that happened and what has happened subsequently that has made him able to 
do a business that a lot of people are having a lot of challenges with around, you know, stuff like labor and deals and money and supplies and all that sort of stuff. He's joining us today by phone. Don, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited, too, and I'm excited to meet you in person in a couple of days. Um, I just kind of teased everybody with this idea that uh, you're sort of a two-time success story. Let's let's put a nice spin on this. <laughs> you, right. like, like, like a lot of people, you, you know, you got successful in real estate before the bubble, and then stuff happened, and then, unlike a lot of people, you picked yourself up and dusted yourself off and made a better business than you had had before. And because I, I actually like, I actually like the stories of people who had massive failures and then, and then came back from them better than I like the ones who had the straight shot to success. I want to hear that story. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm definitely going to be sharing it at the event. So I don't want to give all of it away, but I will definitely share the highlights of what happened. And, you know, I started my real estate investing career back in 2003, um, and I started door knocking pre foreclosures. And I came, you know, from a family that didn't have a lot of money. I didn't have a lot of the stuff I wanted growing up, and and so the type of money that I started making was, you know, just unlike anything I had seen. Um, and we all know how the market was back in 2003, four, and five. I mean you could throw a rock at a house and turn a profit. It was, it was pretty easy to do. So you didn't have to run a real business or be smart and, and uh, you know, you could still make money. And so I was young and naive and hungry and, and really, really good at, at negotiating with sellers and, and making these deals happen. And I just had more money than I knew what to do with. And, and the unfortunate part of it is it went to my head <laughs> and, um, Basically, you know, I, I just I didn't run a real business. You know, I did uh, the, the 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 truth of the matter was I was a, kind of a tool. I thought that everything I touched turned to gold, and I thought it was never going to end. And I ran my life that way. And when 2008 hit, I got caught, and I got caught with a big surprise. Mm-hmm. Oh, don't don't feel bad. We all got caught with a big surprise in 2008. <laughs> but the the difference between you and a lot of people that I knew back then who were really successful in real estate is that you didn't then say, Oh, well, it doesn't work. Well, I can't say that I didn't, that, that would be an unfair statement. Actually. I, I, you know, I basically lost everything. Um, I lost, you know, my business, I lost money, um, my ability to earn for, cause I, you know, you, you start to go through survival mode, right. And, and you start to focus on this, the pebbles, the, the issues of the day, you know, and you've, you, you're not focusing on the big things that really push a business forward or life forward. And, um, you know, I, you go from thinking everything you touch turns to gold to. I'm terrible at this. Being a fit, <laughs> terrible at this. Yeah. I, I'm terrible at this. I'm a failure. Uh, it's horrible. And, um, and I went through, you know, I went through the period of time of trying to hold everything together, you know, and, um, and, and basically kind of a depression and trying to get a job um, back back in 2010-11, you know, they, they weren't hiring. And so I was undereducated. I had an associate's degree, but not a bachelor. And I was overqualified because of my experience and nobody wanted to give me a job. And so thank God. But it was it was kind of my lowest moment where I was just like, you know, I, I, I can't keep the lights on. I can't feed my kids. Like, what am I going to do? And and 
you know, the one thing I was good at was identifying what a deal was. But in that time, I was still scared uh, to death of real estate. And um, but I knew that's what I was good at. And I placed an ad on Craigslist, basically, you know, experienced flipper looking for private money backer must be closer to have a cup of coffee. And um, six people replied. Um, one ended up backing me on a deal and, um, and kind of the rest is history from there. I got back into it, but it wasn't for lack of, it was, it was more, it was more basically lack of opportunity to do something else. Like I said, thank God for that. But, um, they got me back into it and got me back running the business I have now. But I wish I could say it was just because I was strong, (laughs) you know? Well, it does, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. In retrospect, it does. I guess, in retrospect, it was terrible. It it, terrible at the time. I know. I remember two thousand and eight. I had some right. of those. I had some of those thoughts myself. And my story is not nearly as dramatic as yours is in terms of you know couldn't couldn't feed the kids. But <clears throat> what matters is that you f- did find your way back to it, and you built a bigger, better business as a result of what had happened to you. If two thousand eight had never happened, you might be that same dude who was just, you know, basically kind of were a one-man operation job, you know, all that sort of stuff. We need to take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, I want you to tell the rest of the story, which is what your business is like now and what you do. And then we're going to get into answering some questions for some rehabbers because there are a lot of questions. If you want to get into the renovation business or are already in it and are struggling with anything, this is a great day to make a phone call to the station at 877-772-9658 with your questions. Again, 877-772-9658. You can also send it into askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Talking today to Don Costa, who is one of the uh, folks who is on his way here shortly, I hope, to Cincinnati for the uh, 2021 OREA National Real Estate Summit, which you can find out more about at wmkvfm.org. Uh, before the break, we were talking about the sort of sad and desperate part of the story, but you found this private lender, you went back into the real estate business, and you said this was like 2010-2011 time frame. 2012, actually, yeah. 2012, mm-hmm. okay. And this time you set out to do it right. So describe what describe how it's different now than it was the first time. Well, ultimately, the first time around, um, you know, I wasn't running a real business. There was, you know, a lot of kind of throwing things against the wall to see what sticks. Everything seemed like a great idea. Um, you know, we weren't managing contractors' projects, timelines. If you took longer to finish a project you made more money and um so that was that aspect of it had to change um and in my organization you know i wasn't a good leader uh i was a bottleneck um you know i had to be part of every decision that was was made that ultimately doesn't make for a successful organization and so ultimately um when i got back into it the one thing i knew that i wanted to do was to not be in a position to get caught like that again i mean markets who knows if 2008 will ever happen again, but markets do cycle. They do have ups and downs. You know, um, we're going through an interesting market right now with everything going on with COVID. So, and I wanted to make sure that I had a business that was a real business and it was a stable business. And so obviously, you know, when I sat down in 2012 with this lender, um, I didn't have that entire vision mapped out, but I, I had the, I had to seed the idea. And so 
at, at that moment, it was just getting the first project and getting the first check and, and, and moving on to prove a concept that it worked again for me. Uh, but as I did that, I immediately started building my team around me. Um, my project manager who works for me today uh, was a friend of mine at the time, and I just sat down with him at coffee, and I painted the vision of what I wanted to build as a company and uh, brought him along on that first rehab. I couldn't pay him anything. He just he followed me around for a couple of rehabs and started asking questions and, and showed that he was interested, and, and, uh, and we basically worked together on a handful of rehabs, and pretty soon I turned him on to, off to him and let him run them and, and I followed him and then you know it was one day it was call me if you have questions and then pretty soon it was don't call me anymore you got this and <laughs> and I realized with him that building my team had to be purposeful it had to be I had to give an opportunity to be successful and fail all at the same time to really learn their craft and I had to give them the space to do it and that was a real real big eye opener for me so as we started adding components you know team teammates team members to the company um, you know, we tried to hire before we needed them, before we were in the weeds, and uh, develop them into who we needed them to be. And, and I think that that aspect of, you know, just kind of having a table, a stable team around me, um, you know, running a real business, you know, having the specific buy box for the rehabs we, we do, having a specific plan for, you know, timelines and extra strategies and hiring processes, you know, all of that kind of, you know, developed into the foundation of, you know, the business I have today and, and the fact that it's a business that I can count on, you know, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And to kind of give us some stats for your business. So starting with where are you buying properties? Okay. So I, we're, we're in California. We're actually in a couple of different states. Um, we're in California, Tennessee. We do some stuff in Oregon, but our rehabs are Central Valley, California. So um, everything else, you know, we, we have, we're either doing some wholesale transactions or we are, um, doing buy and holds. Um, Central Valley, California is where we do our rehab projects and Central Valley, just when people hear California, they think, you know, million dollar home. The Central Valley is, uh, you know, Fresno is a farming community for the most part agricultural. It's a large city, but it's, a, it's an agricultural community. And the pricing is very much like a lot of the country. So we're not, you know, crazy. You know, our our average property that we're going to rehab and resell is going to be somewhere between an, an ARV and after repair value of one seventy five to about two seventy five. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's about about what it is here in Cincinnati. Um, right. And like, how many when you're when you're kind of going all out? How many of these can you be doing at one at any one time? When we're operating at our peak, we'll do about 130 rehabs a year. So um, at any given time, uh, you know, we're – let's just – the wheels came off the bus when we had 65 properties in inventory at one time in some stage. Um, and that was – that that was that became uh, a little much for us, and we started to scale it back. So – but typically, you know, we're picking up, you know, anywhere from, you know, 10 to 15 rehabs a month um, on average. So – Mm-hmm. So, typical price one seventy five to two seventy five. Ten to fifteen a month is kind of your comfort zone. You're, you're going to give me nightmares with that sixty five properties. <laughs> under re- like, I'm seriously going to dream about that tonight, and it's not going to be pleasant. And w- yeah. what else? What else does your buy box look like? Are you looking for particular sizes of property? Like, what's your what's your perfect deal? Well, so our perfect. Everything I do is based on time, um, and that's really what's important to me because 
you know, time is really what catches uh, a lot of people in their, you know, in their in their company, whether it's a market change or just the expense of holding the project and all the other issues you're right into uh, when you're in a project too long. So we like to do projects that we can turn in no more than 120 days. Our average turn time generally sits around 100 days um, from the time we actually buy the project to the time we actually sell the project. So check the check. And um, we don't, when we're doing an evaluation on whether or not it's going to be a project we're going to rehab or not, that the first question is, can we turn it within four months? Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's particularly important to me for a lot of reasons. One of, one of them obviously is time. The other reason is the first investor I worked with back in the business talked about annualized ROI. And so my whole philosophy is turning that money three times in a year. It's, it's all based on, I want to make a certain percentage on each project. We, you know, we shoot for 15% cash on cash return. So if we invest a hundred thousand, we want to make 15 minimum and we want to turn that money three times in a year. So effectively we're making 45% on the money in a year, so on and so forth. And, um, and so that's, that's the first part of our buy boxes, you know, can't, does it fit our time model? And then we look at like, we, we don't want to do, we've done major construction projects, high end construction projects. And I just found that again, that time model, if I'm in a project for six months for a high end project, I may make a higher dollar amount. Um, but the time in the project, I don't, I don't get the same annualized return as I would if I did multiple lower end projects. So, you know, our, our kind of our, Target is first-time or second-time buyer homes because those seem to have the most buyer demand. Our rehabs can be a little bit more generalized. They don't have to be as specific as you do need to have in higher homes. And so when we start to look at it in, in that aspect of it, those things help us kind of systematize our buy process, our, our rehab process, and our resale process. I know you just said this, okay? Don't think I wasn't listening. I know you just said right. this, but I feel like I have to I feel like I have to pull it out and show it to listeners again. You just said that the way you're looking at these deals is not how many can I do, how, you know, how how cool is my business cuz I did 400 last year and nobody else did that. You're looking at it on the basis of a cash on cash return. I've never heard a rehabber say that before. Really? <laughs> I've heard, I've heard him say I've heard him say oh if I if I don't make thirty thousand dollars I'm not you know getting out of bed and I've heard him say you know I make thirty percent of the value of the property which means they're not counting their taxes typically um, I've never heard somebody say I figured it out by saying how much cash on cash return do I want on my rehab and that's the deal I'm doing right that's that's kind yeah, of brilliant. That's- that's uh, that is um, this. It, it, it's a it's a culmination of me sitting down and shutting up and listening to people that were a lot smarter smarter than me. To be honest with you, I sat down with somebody who had made a lot of money. It was the first investor I worked with back in the game, and he broke down how you know he wants his money to perform, and and I based my entire business around that. And um, you know, ultimately, it's just, it's done really really well for us. Well, that is that is uh, that's I'm. I actually took a note <laughs> to to go back and kind of evaluate that on based on like, you know, deals I've done and say, am I getting that? Cause if I'm not, maybe I should do something different. Okay. So the last piece of uh, this question about what does your business look like today before we get into how you're handling some of these um, things that are happening in the market. 
is what does the team look like today? You've got the project manager. Who who else is involved in making these things happen? We have two project managers in our in our company. So we we're we're full blown. I mean, we have acquisitions, lead management, um, you know, transaction coordination. I have a, a sister company that is a brokerage. I'm not a licensed agent, but in, in most states, you can ha- actually have a corporation and have a broker of record um, and still own that corporation. And so I have a, a, a broker that basically runs the real estate company for me. Um, and so all these things are tied together um, and there's checks and balances all the way through. For instance, like if an acquisitions um, manager locks up a property's potential rehab, our project manager has to go see that particular rehab and confirm that, you know, the budget, what, what needs to be done, so on and so forth, that the numbers do in fact work for us as a rehab. Um, our, our broker for the real estate company is the one who runs all of our ARVs for us, our after repair values. So um, when a lead comes in, the acquisition is negotiating that lead, they'll actually tag uh, Chong, who's the broker, and he will, he will send back what the, um, the value of the property is our, our anticipated resale amount for that. And so we have these little checks and balances in our organization to make sure that, you know, one person isn't, you know, moving a little too fast or trying to square peg round hole and do that kind of stuff. So all, all the way through um, there's a, there's a check and balance. It's something I'm going to take a kind of a deeper dive into um, when we, uh, when I, when you have speaking. 90, when you have 90 minutes and nobody interrupting you every, every yeah. 10 seconds, asking a new question. All right. right. So um, we're going to take, uh, this seems like a good time for a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how y'all are dealing with the same stuff. The rest of us are dealing with contractors, material shortages, all of that sort of thing. If you have questions for Don about rehabs, you can send them via, via email to askvina at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-V like in Victor, E-N-A at gmail.com. Or you can just give us a call at 877-772-9658. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today, Don Costa, who is talking to us about some of the things that uh, go on in his business, his rehab resale business, which is one of several businesses that he has. He's also going to be a featured expert at the 2021 OREA National Real Estate Summit starting tomorrow. And we had... I. I assume we still have. We had four tickets when I sat down here uh, available at WMKVFM.org. And uh, if you've been sitting on your hands going, gee, I wonder if I should go to that. It's time to decide because it starts tomorrow, guys. Uh, WMKVFM.org. Don, before we move into how you guys are dealing with the ever-increasing challenges of being a rehabber, uh, we did get an email, we did get a question via askvina at gmail.com, uh, from Joe, who says, those team members that he just mentioned who seem to be inside team, are they, uh, 1099, W2, some combination, and are any of them virtual assistants? It's a fantastic question. So, yes, so the, I have, um, virtual assistants from Philippines who are uh, our lead management team, essentially they're, they handle like data. Um, I get daily, weekly, monthly reports on um, our, basically our key performance indicators. Um, 
on what the team's doing for marketing and, and whatnot and so on and so forth. So, um, and then the, the rest of the team is essentially in-house. Um, so acquisitions um, is in-house, project management is in-house. The state of California, you really can't 1099 anybody. Um, ask me how I know. <laughs> That's a whole different conversation. <laughs> because but, your Uber uh, driver went on strike? Is that how you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's one reason. Uh, but uh, you, I just went down the rabbit hole with attorneys and tried tried to figure it out, and there's just really no way to do it. So our, our uh, even our acquisitions team has a base that kind of acts as a draw against commission, but they're, so they're based in commission. Um, the project managers are W-2, uh, and pretty much everybody else that's internal is W-2, with the exception of the, obviously, the people who are virtual. Mm-hmm, so. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, shall we make a list of the things that every rehabber in the country is complaining about? <laughs> um, <laughs> lack of inventory, um, uh, lack of contracting labor, supply chain problems. Uh, you know, the, the only the only thing they're not complaining about is being able to sell the properties like if you can if you can get one and you can get it rehabbed and you can get the stuff in there to do it you're golden assuming you bought the property right it like like it you know it sells in one day for everything you were asking and then some maybe y'all have to be dealing with the same thing i don't think the central valley of california has some you know separate bubble that it lives in that these things aren't going on. So let's let's just kind of go down the list and find out how y'all are dealing with it. And let's let's start at the end with materials. Materials like we we had a guest on about four weeks ago who said she couldn't get windows to save her life, and those are <laughs> those are really important in cold places. So how are you dealing with the fact that? You know, sometimes you go in to buy the vanity you've always bought, and it's on back order for six months. I compromise. Um, you know, what, one of the things that we're doing is we're taking a hard look at the projects, and we're saying, questioning, going into them, like, what do we have to do and what we don't have to do? One of the advantages of this market is <clears throat> buyer demand, right? And you're going to have markets where you're going to have to add value. You're going to have to move walls and and almost over rehab, you know, and you're going to have markets where you don't. And this is a market where you don't have to do the crazy, crazy HGTV rehab. So um, the first thing that, that we do at this point in time is we look at the project and take a good hard look at it and say, okay, what do we, what can we get away with not doing? Like, do we have to replace the windows on this one? Do we have to update doors? Do we have, you know, um, can we just reface cabinets or paint cabinets in this particular property and get away with it, you know, you can, um, you know, you can reglaze your tubs and tile, you know, especially if you're in a first time buyer, second time buyer price point, you know, instead of ripping them out and the tile out and trying to find tile to replace it. So that's, I mean, that's one of the things that I think you get it in your head that you have to do something the same way every single time. And you're, you're not willing to be fluid to change. And, and, uh, you know, I've, I've learned the hard way that markets change. Right. And, and um, so we're just we're rehabbing to what the market demands right now and compromising where we need to compromise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are you finding that the shortages of different kinds of materials are, are easing up or are they getting worse or is it one thing for some kinds and a different thing for different kinds? Yeah, I mean, like windows in our, our area, um, they were they're 
getting closer to being back to kind of our normal timeline. You know, they, they were months out in, in the, you know, in early on in COVID. Now, instead of being about two weeks out, we're looking at three in most cases, you know, depending on a few factors. But so in, in some cases, it's, you know, some things seem like they're easing up. Um, it seems like it kind of comes in waves, though, you know, if, if that makes sense. Like one minute, it seems like it's easing up, and then it kind of tightens up on us again a little bit. We've been really good with, um, like, our cabinet and granite guy, uh, he had multiple stores and had a ton of inventory. So that we like, we didn't have a hard hit there. Um, we may, we may start to see one more, but, uh, ultimately at the end of the day, um, I would say it's a mix. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So some, some stuff still bad, some stuff getting better, some stuff not so great. Probably. Right. And, and, and sourcing local, you know, some of the, you know, we're, we're looking at sourcing more things like locally instead of, you know, going to the big box store, big box stores and getting things online. We're finding, you know, some things still, you know, kind of in inventory locally that people had had for some time. So mm-hmm. that's kind of helped us out with it as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's move on to the other big, once I have found the deal and bought it um, problem that I'm hearing from my rehabber friends, which is the contractors themselves. I have heard nobody say, oh, no, I've got no problem at all finding and keeping contractors. It, 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 and and it, it, this is a thing that it seems to be getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. In, in your opinion, what is going on? Why is it so hard to find and keep good people? Well, I mean, people in your business, contractors, employees are always going to be the wild card. You know, this, this, the, the business itself is simple, right? It's not necessarily easy, but it, the, 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 it's, it's a simple business to do. Usually the thing that kind of hurts us all is people. And that's <clears throat> becoming good at, you know, evaluating people. Um, you know, first thing we look at, even with our contractors, are, are you teachable and coachable? You know, are you hardworking and loyal? And um, early on, you know, just to kind of give an example, um, I was a gentleman I've worked with since 2013, uh, actually late 2012. Uh, we, you know, I called him up off a of Craigslist and I said, you know, this is who we are and this is what we do. You know, we have that conversation and half the, half the contractors disqualify themselves right there. You know, we don't work with rehabbers, rehabbers are crooks. You know, they think the same way about us as we think about them type of thing. And um, this gentleman was like, yeah, yeah, definitely I'll work with you. Um, you know, I'll, I'll work around what you need to do, you know. So I said, okay, on pricing, I need wholesale pricing. I need that number that, you know, we're not getting rich and you're not getting rich. Like, um, and he said, okay, I'll work with you on that. So I said, okay, let's go meet at a project. Now, I wanted to see a, a finished project that he had uh, done, not because I wanted to see how good of the work he did was, but I wanted to kind of get to know his character. So the first thing I did is I walked around that project and I picked out a couple of things that didn't quite fit my standard and I pointed them out. And his response, I always use it as an example because it's, that's what you're looking for when you're basically hiring anybody on your team, but especially contractors, is he said, if I'm doing work for you and you don't like something, we'll fix it. No problem. And uh, instead of blaming the homeowner, blaming an employee, making an excuse, he basically took accountability. He said, you're right. It could be better. And if you have a problem with anything we do, we'll fix it. And that showed me that he was teachable and coachable. That showed me that he was going to take responsibility. And so that's what I'm looking for when I'm hiring anybody is that type of individual, because then 
you can almost treat them, even though they're not your employees, right? You can almost treat them like, you, you know, they're part of your team and you can work with them and develop them into who you need them to be. I think so many people look at the contractor aspect of their business as a plug and play. And they don't look at them as, you know, they're individuals wanting to make their business better. They, they're, the things they care about is, you know, do I have consistent work? Am I getting paid um, on time, you know, and, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, am I working for good people, right? So um, most of them, not, you know, that I, that's, uh, that I work with at least, you know, are those are the individuals I work to find. And typically I try to find contractors. Now today, this market, I will admit, is a little bit more challenging. But typically I try to find contractors that are um, usually about a year or so in the business. They're they're qualified enough to do good work, but they don't have enough of a business book to demand high prices. And then we bring them on. We give them, you know, enough work to keep them busy consistently. And if I see a flaw in something that they're doing, I, we work with them to make them better. We work with them to help them run a better business. And that's that's really how we approach it. It's not perfect. You know, we have hired some dogs for lack of a better term but the, when we get a good one we tend to keep a good one mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so uh, that's interesting uh what what you just implied because a lot of people seem to want to get into the rehab business without knowing anything about rehab you know what I'm, you know what i mean they like they just want to buy the house and then hire the contractor to do all the work and they don't have to know that you know, what a good quality work is. They don't have to know how to develop the contractors. They just expect the contractors to come in and do the perfect job that they had inside their heads. You are taking a different approach here. You're saying, I'm not going to find the perfect one. I'm going to find the one with the right attitude and the right skills. And I'm going to make the good one because I, because I, my, my team actually knows about rehab. We educated ourselves about rehab. We didn't just decide we were going right. to figure out how to buy houses and then sit back and wait for somebody to finish them. Yeah, I mean, exactly. You know, it's it's it, it may seem overwhelming and discouraging if you've never had a, a property before to try try to take that that approach. But I think it's important for you to understand the fundamentals of your business if you're going to be in business, right? And so I would stand, I remember just back in 2012, getting back into it, you know, I'd been out of, out of it for a number of years. And then I, before that I hadn't run a real business and I, I, I can still tell you the floor plan of every Home Depot in my market. I mean, I stood in Lowe's and Home Depot and looked at tile and looked at paint and looked at baseboard and, and just looked at what everything cost and did, did the math on, you know, how many linear feet of baseboard is there in a 1500 square foot home, right? I mean, the average is between seven, 800 linear feet. So, you know, just started kind of figuring that stuff out, asking questions, talking to contractors. And um, because I, I knew that the one thing I, if I was going to have a good relationship with somebody that I was working with, I had to create a situation where there was mutual trust. And that wasn't going to happen if I was in the dark all the time. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So you, you and your team are in a position where you can kind of tell right away if somebody you're talking to doesn't know what they're talking about because you speak the language. Yeah, I mean, essentially, yeah, we can tell if they don't know what they're talking about or they're talking a big game or, you know, and it's little things that that's, uh, will give them away, like doing, you know, um, talking about doing work out of order. Like you can just ask somebody, let, let, me, let me back up here something that you can do um, when you are uh, looking to hire contractors, ask them to see a, a job in progress. 
that that is an important thing that we do that I left out of the hiring process because you can ask him a series of questions before you go see that job in progress. Like, you know, what was the budget? You know, how long have you been working on it? When are you supposed to be done? And you can see, you can go and see like, okay, they say they're supposed to be done in, in three days. Even if you're a novice, you can tell that <laughs> it doesn't look like they're going to be done in three days, you know, if they're not right. And so um, you're going to see so many things. Like, do they have, a, do they have anybody there when you show up? Um, do they have, enough people on the job to be doing what they say they're doing is there safety issues is there cleanliness issues you can see all these things um you know by looking at a, at a job in progress and that's something that we do um and that really you know like did they hang the cabinets before they stuccoed uh, not stuccoed but um, textured and painted the wall right mm-hmm. um i don't know how many times i've walked into a job and seen you know a contractor who hung cabinets and now he's got to cover them because they got to texture and paint the wall. Mm -hmm. You know, are they doing work out of order? You can see that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm, mm All right. We need to take one final break after which we are going to take listener questions at, uh, at this point, probably askvina at gmail.com. That's A S K V like in Victor E N A at gmail.com. Welcome back to the last real life real estate investing before the big 2021 OREA summit. If you haven't got a ticket, go to WMKVFM.org. Scroll down to the bottom of the page and check it out. Because if you're here in the area, you could probably still come if you get one of the last four tickets that we have. All right, Don, we've got some listener questions that I have been saving up here in the inbox. And the first one is from Dave. He says, Don mentioned that in California, it's difficult to pay people on a 1099. Does this mean that even his contractors are W-2 employees? No, the contractors are their individual business owners. So they are their 1099. They invoice my company and I pay them like a a contractor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, great. Uh, Question from Brittany. I'm curious about whether Don is using general contractors on each job or if each job is being done completely by subcontractors. That is a great question. When you're, when you're doing a lot of rehab, subcontractors are like herding cats. Um, so we do use general contractors, but one of the things is we look for general contractors that have a team that work for them that actually have employees. So I'm not looking for the GC that's going to sub out. I'm looking for the GC that has a team. And then we generally get really darn close. if not the same pricing we get if we subbed everything out. So essentially what we're doing is we're hiring the manager and our project managers manage the managers. If that makes sense. Oh, interesting. You're getting, you're getting a general contractor at effectively the same price as me. Who's making 12 phone calls to get people in on a particular job. Right. I got to call the window guy. I got to call the roof guy. I got to call the plumber. I got to call the. Right. But I want to be clear too. Like we still sub in, like we'll still, we'll still do roof and HVAC uh, windows separately, just in, in, in flooring and we'll throw it in there separately. We don't ever give a GC the entire house. And the reason why is because they won't like, if they're doing the roof, like they're not going to be inside working. If they're inside working, the roof's not like, so we'll, st- we don't stack trades for time reason, right? Mm. So if, if the roof's being worked on, there's no reason why somebody can't be inside the house. So we do kind of part out some of it, but we generally, when we, when we hire our GCs, we're looking for somebody who can, you know, they can paint, they can lay tile, they can, they can do the electrical work. And so the GCs we hire do have 
employees that, you know, they'll have demo employees and painters and, and so on and stuff on, on staff, and they're these small teams. And usually they'll have one guy that's kind of their foreman, foreman that can lay tile and do plumbing and some electrical work. And so it works out really well for us. Hmm. Okay. Um, boy, I think you're going to have some comments on this one. Glenn says... This show is very well-timed because I'm hoping that Don can give me some advice on a problem I'm facing right now. I hired a contractor to do a rehab for me. The total bid for the job was $65,000, and the contractor wanted $30,000 down, which I did pay. He's done about $15,000 worth of the work in my estimation, and I haven't been able to get a hold of him in two weeks. What do I do? Oh, well, I mean, you need to look into your state regulatory agency. I don't know what, what state. I'm assuming Glenn's local to you there. So in California, we have the California State Licensing Board, and we can report contractors to the California State Licensing Board. Uh, you know, they'll get involved with, with the, the situation if we need to um, have them involved. Um, you can also, you know, talk to an attorney, have an attorney draft a letter threatening, you know, that you're going to go ahead and take them to court for small claims. At the end of the day, um, if that's if it gets to that, the, the there's a few things, there's a few rabbit holes I can go down on this, which I will go down uh, when I have a conversation. We're going to talk about managing from a position of power, and one of the things that you have to do is control the money. And it's it's hard to you know to in hindsight to look back and say, well, I should have, but you got to control the money. How you pay people is so important to getting jobs done and getting jobs done on time. And, and so we don't do draws and we don't do deposits. And again, I'll get into how we pay and why we pay the way we pay um, when I have uh, the conversation with you guys. But ultimately, at the end of the day, what I found is, you know, every single time I've done a draw or deposit, the contractor always gets 50%, 75% done of that draw or deposit and wants more money because they got to pay their team or get materials. And so you're always behind the able. And that doesn't work for me. Um, I don't trust it. If something happens, like they walk across the street and get hit by a car, you're out that money. If they don't show on you, you're out that money. And so ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, we've created a whole different system for paying. The other thing that, that I want to point out is that in a lot of states, there are laws. Like in California, it's $1,000 or 10% of the job, whichever is least. So the maximum deposit can be a thousand dollars on a job. It can be. It doesn't matter if it's a fifty thousand dollar job or or a ten thousand dollar job. The maximum deposit is a thousand bucks. And so you use those laws to your advantage when the contractor is asking for fifty percent down. Mm-hmm. Okay. So step one, Glenn, is don't do that again. <laughs> don't, right. don't, don't give somebody half the money up front. Like that's just that's just like rehab one oh one and if you'd have if you'd have said this to Don back when it started, he probably could have predicted what was going to happen. But now he's in a position, Don, where he he's got a stalled rehab that's costing him one you know, one assumes a one percent a month on his hard money loan plus taxes plus insurance, right. plus it's not getting on the market, plus it's it gets cold here in you know, December, January, yeah. and a lot of time the market slows down. So would you recommend at this point that he keep trying to find this contractor or that he give it up and go find another one and not pay him up front this time? This, uh, what would you do? 
So I don't know the entire situation. Obviously, I don't have Glenn in front of me to, to, to ask a bunch of questions. But, you know, the first thing I would do is I would I, I would say, you know, you catch more bees with honey. So reach out to the guy and just be nice and ask him, are you going through anything? Do you have any problems, anything I can help with? And see if you get him back on board. If you've already done that, if, if he's MIA, like he's legitimately ghosting you, then I would put whatever things in motion you need to with whatever your state agency is and an and attorney to try to at least recoup or recover your money. And then I would sit down and look at your project and your budget and, and you know, what your options are and figure out next steps right away and not let it linger. So um, the key is when you bring another contractor in to not, not do the large deposit and uh, make sure that you are really only paying for work completed. And that's, again, I'll break that down, but we only pay for work completed. We have a whole system and process for that. Um, and it, it's, they care about getting paid and you care about not getting, you know, stolen from. So you, you create a process, you sit down with them and you create a process that, that solves both your problems. And, mm-hmm. and essentially that's paying for work completed only. Mm-hmm. All right, Don, we only have a couple of minutes left, and I'm going to ask you to look into your personal crystal ball about your business and then the bigger crystal ball about the business and say, I mean, it sounds like you're doing good. What what do you see changing over the next one to five years in your own business? What are you still hoping to be able to do? Oh, uh, you know, I... There's, there's a lot of things that I like about my business, um, the way it is. Um, I, I want to continue to allow my team to have an opportunity uh, to, to do what they've been doing so well, and uh, I want to continue to help them accomplish their goals. Um, I'm, I, you know, I got some things on my radar, you know, personally, uh, you know, I want to get into the Airbnb space and start holding some Airbnbs, so that's something that's on my radar. So that's, that's something that we're, we're adding to kind of our arsenal. Of, uh, of things we're doing, so um, I don't know. I don't. Really, I, I don't know that I've sat down and <laughs> really given given it a whole lot of thought as to you know. Um, I want to. You know, I've been pretty much out of the day to day operations for a good minute. You know, I, I don't know what streets a lot of these properties are on that we're doing nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to. I want to continue <clears throat> continue to have uh, that opportunity to. I guess this impact, help people run better businesses, impact people, impact their lives um, in a better way um, to, you know, help them learn from some of my mistakes. And, uh, and yeah, that's kind of, that's been the plan. Any predictions for the whole market over the next one to five years? You've already kind of made the comparison between the way the market is now and the way it was in 2003. Do you see a crash coming? You know, I, I don't see a crash like 2008. Um, I, I do. I think that the market is propped up artificially. I think that it's not sustainable. But I also think that they learned a lot through modifications and shadow inventory. You know, some of the strategies they used back in 2008 to kind of, you know, at once they realized they had tanked the market. So um, I think that we'll – I think we'll still see uh, – people get in the situations i think we're going to see you know some volatility in the market you know as to when i don't know but i think that if we had a 2008 all over again which is potentially possible i think that there's again modification shadow inventory different things in place where they're not going to flood the market with foreclosures like they did in 08 and drop the price if that makes sense excellent well don costa look forward to seeing you in a couple of days at the oria 2021 national real estate summit appreciate your time today 
And want to encourage listeners that uh, if there are still tickets left, they are at WMKVFM.org. We will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.